2018 NHL Entry Draft has come and gone, and the first-round predictions that were made by us were quickly thrown out the window. Also, Eric Carlson still in Ottawa, and I'm thrilled about that. Uh, so we'll recap all the NHL Draft, as well as the 2018 NHL Awards. Part 1 of Episode 131 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. The 2018 NHL Entry Draft is coming on. We'll uh, talk about that and the NHL Awards. But first, delving into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia as we do before every episode. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. All right, we're at question number 20, and here it is. Despite never being a player, a coach, an official, an owner, or an executive, he is a member of the Hall of Fame. Who enjoys this unique status? Is it A, Honorable Hartland Molson, B, Lord Stanley of Preston, C, Russian hockey czar Anatoly Tarasov, or D, Monsignor Athol Murray. I have no idea. I'm Tarasov sounds familiar, so I'm going to go with that. It was Lord Stanley of Preston. Wow. The okay. most obvious answer because he donated, like, the Stanley Cup is named after him. So, of course, technically he would be in the Hall of Fame. What's interesting about him is he was a devoted fan, hockey parent, and sports patron of the highest order. But when he left Canada in 1893, he returned to his home country of England without ever seeing a match played for the trophy he established. Wow. So he never took in an NHL game. He donated the Stanley Cup, and it's the name we all recognize, and he is in the Hall of Fame, fittingly. So... Yeah, the more you know about Lord Stanley, I guess, the better off you'll be. Uh, but anyways, uh, speaking of Lord Stanley, um, a good way to win Lord Stanley's Cup is to draft well. And uh, some teams made some, shall we say, interesting selections at this year's NHL draft. And uh, Brett, I'll let you take things away from here. Yeah, so uh, so of course, um, we had this mock draft uh, last week. Uh for the draft, and I, I, I don't think me or Steve pretend to know anything about um, any a lot of these prospects. Like what I, about I McKenzie or Ellie Freeman, to be fair. Yeah, or we're, any of these no, guys. We're nowhere close to them. Yeah, or any of these guys, uh, like Dauber Hockey or anything. But you know, Steve watches clearly watches a lot of OHL. I occasionally watch um, college hockey, so. That is our background, but we we basically just base off our our mock draft, at least I did, on um, what what we had, you know, what other people had in the in the mock draft. So yeah, and what and what those teams we think would need exactly, and um, and these rankings were um, were kind of like crazy this year. Uh, there was a lot of reaches. There was a lot of uh, steals. 
Um, so we're going to get into it, but first we're going to talk about what really set everything off and set the tone for the night. I know it's kind of weird to set a tone for a draft, but it really did set a tone because it's like, okay, I guess we're doing reaches now. Um, so the first, uh, we kind of, even though this uh, was the, ro- we disagreed with what the Montreal Canadiens were going to do, um, they picked Jespery, Kotzikinemi, at three. Um, Which you, I predicted, by the way. And I did, too. Um, and a lot of people did, because Montreal basically said it, said as much that they were going yeah. to get uh, Kachinemi at three. Um, of course, uh, we sh- I, I guess we should say that uh, Darlene and Shevnikov were the one and two, as expected. Yeah, they were the obvious one, too, which, which is kind of funny, because in a draft that turned out to be the most unpredictable, the most predictable picks were the first two. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that's just usually the case where you, like, know that, oh, these two were, were going to be the the picks. Like, I remember uh, Matthews' draft, it was it was pretty much always going to be Matthews and then Lange. Um, yeah, and, then, and then what ended up happening was Pierre-Luc Dubois ended up, um, which was more of a surprise because people thought the Blue Jackets were going to pick Pouliou Harvey. Um, instead, and it looks like that turned out good for them because uh, you yeah. know Dubois is looking like a center, and we don't know what Puliyarvi is going to be. Although I guess it's still too soon, um, but uh, you know it's it's hard to judge um, a player until they make it to the NHL. Um, so we still don't know what Puliyarvi is going to be like. But um, yeah, exactly. Like for for example, yeah. uh, I I remember. Uh, Taking a look at this article in 1999, um, and, and like Havley was the top pick that year, and there was an article, I believe, on Sportsnet or NHL.com, one of those sites that said, Pavel Dadstuk probably should have been the number one pick. Well, so, and, and that was in 99, and we're right. really discussing this in 2018, like 20 yeah. years after the fact. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing, too. It's like, I remember in, like, 2014 when uh, Pasternak, I mean, that, that happened to be a good draft, but Pasternak slipped all the way to 25, and it's like, if you're going to do a redraft, you probably would be in the top 10, if not the first overall pick. So, um, exactly. um, even though Ekblad isn't bad, I think Ellers was also that year. There's a couple of good ones in 2014, too. So, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a guarantee that Pasternak would be number one, but he would be up there. Um, yeah. Anyways... Um, so then what, then it starts getting kind of crazy because then we expected, we both expected that Zadina would fall to four, um, to the, the, the senators, but instead the, uh, the senators pick up Matt, uh, Brady Kachuk, Matt Kachuk's brother. Um, and, uh, what's kind of cool is that, as you know, that he is, I mean, this wasn't necessarily a surprise. He's three here on Bob McKenzie's list. Um, so he is ahead of Zadina and they were kind of like one and two every, um, you know, everywhere you look, it's like, oh, if Zadina's not three, then it's probably Kachuk or it's Kachinemi because they know something. So, so that's the interesting thing here. The only concern about Brady Kachuk is that his scoring numbers, um, aren't that great. It's, you know, he has, <laughs> he has eight goals in 40 games 
I mean, the NCAA is different than the QMJHL, but um, it's still a little concerning considering that Brady Kachuk has been known for to be this power forward. So that's the one concern I would have on Brady Kachuk. I know that he is a Kachuk family and he he hits and does all that stuff, but it's still a little like um, interesting to see that you know the Senators went with Kachuk instead of Zadina here because Zadina had forty four goals in fifty seven games. Um, I know, yeah, and that was in, yeah. and that was in year one with Halifax. Yeah, I mean, I know that QMGHL has like the. Or, like, they always have, like, the stats are usually pretty higher just because yeah, the defense is... Yeah, there's a lot of wide-open hockey, for sure. Yeah, so compared to the NCAA, so it is kind of hard to compare those two leagues particularly. But at the same time, it's like, I, I feel like Zadina would be the better prospect here. But at the same time, it's like, it's... It's... It's, it's uh it's different, you know? Like, it's hard to really... Um, like maybe Kachuk could work out. Um, then we go to the truly wild thing that really set everything off because we just said, all right, so if Zadina is not going to the Senators, that means Zadina is going to the Coyotes. They're going to yeah. be nuts with Keller on the other hand, on, on the other side. It's going to be fun. And then it turns out they picked Barrett Hayden, which was on 11th. To, to Bob McKenzie's credit and a lot of these guys, you know, Hayden w- went 11th um, on Bob McKenzie's list, um, but he went five here. I was reading some reports that they just didn't see him as a, a top-line center. So this one I don't understand either. I mean, I get that the Coyotes do kind of need a center because they have, they have Strom. They did just get... Galchenyuk, Stepan might be good for a couple more years. So, I don't know, maybe they felt like they valued Hayden more than the other guys. And he did have 60 points in 63 games. But it se- it doesn't seem like when you have a guy like Zadina on the board or Quinn Hughes or Dobson or um, Wallstrom or Bruchard, like Bockfist, you know, you have those guys still out there, and you go and pick Hayden when he is clearly, you know, he doesn't have as high of a ceiling, doesn't necessarily make sense, and it's a it's a bit of a reach. And uh, that's where I, like, question, you know, obviously Chica wins all the off-season trades, and, you know, but, like, I feel like his drafting ability isn't great for some reason. But, and also... Like, if he really loved Bear Hayden, fine. But then he could have just traded down because you know that he's he's going to get Hayden later in the rounds and maybe he could get more draft picks or something. I don't know. Uh, I felt yeah, like that was a strange thing. And that could have been a pretty wide thing because after this number five selection, they didn't pick until 55th overall. Yeah. So they should have just traded down, even if it was in the top ten. Just because you know that Barrett Hayden's going to be available, um, so that's what that's what I was more confused about. But I don't know, like that, like again, like this whole Pierre Luc Dubois kind of thing situation kind of makes it a thing. You know, this guy could be a top line center, and we'll never truly know until maybe like three or four years from now. But um, at the same time, it's like Zadina's available. Um, so, anyways. 
that, speaking of Zadina, that leaves Zadina at six, um, and uh, that puts him at Detroit. Um, the funny thing, or not the funny thing is, is but now that means Ottawa, Montreal are in his division. And Buffalo, I guess, but I mean Buffalo has has a reason yeah, I, to. Yeah, I think you could understand yeah. them uh, taking uh, Rasmus yeah, yeah. Dallas. But uh, you know, but he's but a it's projected number one pick. Right? Exactly, exactly. So, but it's it's more uh, I guess it's more Montreal and um, and uh, uh, Ottawa that he'll probably have a grudge against. But I I remember I saw this quote that he said that um, he's happy Detroit drafted him because he's. Every time he's playing Ottawa and Montreal, he's gonna put all the pucks in the net there. So that's kind of like it's a little arrogant and cocky, but it's also like, like that's kind of what you want to see in 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 this guy, um, because it's like you know he has that fire and he has that you know chip on his shoulder. Um, you know they always said like I know we're talking about. Um, now I'm just rambling here, but. Um, Aaron Rodgers always had this thing about, um, you know, uh, he was drafted late in the rounds, and that's kind of like his has been his narrative um, for his entire career is that like he's always been he's always had this chip on his shoulder and all that stuff, and um, you know, same with Tom Brady, especially because he was a sixth round pick. You know, these guys are just like they have a chip on their shoulder, so it, it is cool to see that. Um, having said that. Detroit just got a steal um, without even meaning to because uh, it dropped to six when Zadina probably could have been a third round pick or a third a third overall pick. So, right. um, so there's that. Um, yeah, as a as a Sens fan, um, how do you feel about all this stuff? <laughs> well, first of all, let's let's take a look at uh, Brady Kachuk. I mean, you look at the number. You're right, Sedino is the better choice. I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. But I, I think the main reason why Sens fans are judging this is the risk of what they're giving up. Because if you don't remember, in the Matt Duchesne trade, they kind of gave up a first-round pick to Colorado. And what's noteworthy about that is at the time they made this trade, they didn't think they were going to suck as much as they did. Mm-hmm. So... They had the option to either give Colorado this year's top pick, their first round pick, or uh, give Colorado their 2019 first round pick, no matter how bad or good they did. So not only could they be potentially passing up on Philip Sedina, they could also be potentially passing on Jack Hughes if they do as bad as they did this year. And their first round pick next year ends up being the top pick in the draft. So that is why... Everyone is focusing on Brady Kachuk and saying, I really hope you're good, buddy, because <laughs> we just gave up a lot for you and without you even knowing it. But when you look at all of these character issues in the Sens locker room, and we'll be talking about that in part two of this episode, which yep. you'll hear the following day, um, their dressing room is quote-unquote broken. And... Two things that Pierre Dorian wants to get for future players. Two things in particular, character and accountability. Yep. And this guy, I think, has got a perfect blend of both. And when you also consider that you're going to be going up against top dogs like Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, maybe Montreal, if they find a way to get good again 
and not have the Weber con, uh, Weber and Fresh contracts uh, bite them in the rear. Um, they're going to need some character, some accountability, some grit, some toughness. Brady Kachuk is going to be an absolute thorn in their side. True. And that is what the Sens are lacking as well. So if he can find his offensive skill and he can put that into uh, the toughness brand that he brings, yep. this is going to be a pretty solid pick. The question is, is he going to live up to the hype of a top five prospect? And that is where it gets interesting because it's too early to say True. if Brady Kipchuk is going to be that. It's also going to be too early to say if uh, Philip Sedina is going to live up to that hype. But what Sedina brings to Detroit is options because not only do you have a guy that is motivated, you have a guy that can score goals. In seven yep. games of the World Juniors, he scored seven goals. That's pretty good. Goal per game pace. Um, he's coming off a stay in Halifax, and that club has produced some very good European first-round prospects. Nikolai Ehlers, you mentioned. He also didn't mention Nico Heischer, who was drafted first overall last year by New Jersey, and he yep. had a pretty good rookie season with the Devils this year. And he so had a broken hand. a pretty hand. good track record there. Yeah. True. And, and then on top of that, he's going into an organization for at least a year or two. He's going to learn from Henrik Zetterberg. That's good. Yep. Um, and if he turns into that top six forward you were dreaming of, you could turn the top six forward like a Gustav Nyquist or a Justin Abdelkader. You could turn that into draft picks or prospects or assets that your team could use to be better in the longer term. So that is the good side of drafting another talented top six forward with lots of potential is because if he works out, you can maybe turn a guy that didn't work out into something else. True. And I think that's going to benefit the Red Wings too. Yep. Um, Yeah, no, I agree. It it is kind of interesting. Apparently uh, Zadina and speaking of Nico Heischer, they both had the same, they both were at Halifax um, yeah. and they both apparently had the same host family. Um, Zadina is Czech. Yeah, that's, that's another thing too, yeah. Nico Heischer is Swiss. Um, it's kind of funny that they both have the same, um, they both were, uh, hosted by the same family, uh, when they were there. So that, that, that is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like, we don't really know what Kachuk's going to be. We don't know what Zadina's going to be. We don't know what Hayden's going to be. You don't really know what any of these people are going to be. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it seems like Zadina has a higher ceiling than Kachuk. But, at the, you know, but if Kachuk can be that power forward, a gritty guy that, um, that he's been hyped up to be, then, yeah, I think it is a good pick at four. Um, I know. also think there's another theory as to why they went with Hayden and not Sedina, the Arizona Coyotes, and that's partially because of Barrett Hayden's smarts. And I'm not saying that Philip Sedina is still yeah. by any means. Please, Philip, if you're yeah. somehow listening to this, don't take it the wrong way. Right. It's just that uh, Barrett Hayden was named OHL Scholastic Player of the Year. He's got a lot of smarts. Um, he had a lot of success uh, in the playoffs on a great team. They compare. A very good, well-rounded team. And that's what they need is success. True. Arizona is sick and tired of losing. They want results. They True. want guys that can win. They want good team and, leadership. And I think they felt that this guy can bring that. 
And they compared him to um, they compared him to Patrice Bergeron on the draft day thing, or at least in the states they compared him to Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, so they got plenty of skill, but they yeah. need they need guys that can win guys and that do can lead. and be like a two way forward for them. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So so yeah, Barry Hayden is the same kind of thing. It's like if he can be a top line center, then yeah, it was a risky pick and definitely a reach. But at the same time, it's like you know. Who knows at this point? You know, Hayden could be the guy to um, to be a top-line center for them. So we'll see how that goes. Um, then to round out the top ten, we have Quinn Hughes and Adam Bogfist. No surprise there, um, although I guess the only surprise is that they dropped down to the Canucks and the Blackhawks, but um, those guys were expected there. Um, and then we have Vitaly Kravtsov, um, who I have... Uh, as twelfth uh, on McKenzie's list, um, but uh, apparently he had a really good. I kind of liked him because I I saw him as a bit of a dark horse, um, so I was kind of surprised. To, I did that didn't mean that I wasn't surprised to see him at nine. I would have uh, rather they the Rangers picked Wallstrom, but Krasov yeah, had a cause, like because that was probably the top right yeah. winger that uh, they should have chosen. Exactly, but Kravtsov actually didn't have a terrible... Like, he did play in the KHL, but, like, you know, like, he had uh, only... An, uh, he had 11 points in 16 games. He had a an amazing playoffs, apparently, so... Yeah, he, he actually took on top rookie honors in each of the three yeah. rounds. So, so that, that's not a slouch at number nine, right? No, exactly. And, you know, like, Wallstrom may be, may be something, but... Um, Kravtsov, you know, KHL has actual professional athletes like Ilya Kovalchuk, which we'll talk about tomorrow. So, like, you know, that's impressive that you can actually, like, I know it's just a short amount of games, but that that is impressive that he can uh, still do that at um, at 18 years old. So, I, I didn't mind this pick. I know it was a bit of a reach, but it wasn't as much of a reach as we would think. Um, so I like that pick, and then to round off the top ten, Evan Bouchard goes, uh, to the Oilers, so, um, so there's your top ten, um, I think we have to get going, because we talked a bit about this. I think it was a bit of a reach for Edmonton to draft a defenseman, because we were so used to them drafting forwards. Right, well... It was so so unexpected, you know, they're obviously going to draft a forward. True, well, no, but yeah, but, I mean, the Oilers obviously need defensemen, so it makes sense for that. Um, it was more of a sarcastic jab than Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so which teams won the draft? Um, again, all these questions are way too soon, but we're going to ask them anyways. Um, so uh, the obvious one is Detroit um, with Zadina falling to six. Um, and then they also got Joe Valino, who we'll also talk about later on. But um, he would drop to 30th, even though... McKenzie had him ranked at 11, no, no, not 11, at 14 here. So that was kind of a bit surprising. And then also they got Jared made Isaac in the th- uh, second round, um, who was ranked as a um, 36 on McKenzie's list, but he went, um, wait, he also went 36 here. Um, uh, McIsaac. So McKenzie was right on the money then. Oh, no, no, no. Mc- I, I, I got confused. McIsaac went 26 on McKenzie's, but he went 36 uh, overall okay. uh, in round two. So, um, 
So there's that. Um, but, um, yeah, so Detroit kind of stocked, stocked their cupboard, as they say, um, in this draft. And then the other one that uh, the next two picks, we just did a top 10. Um, but we should really do the top 12 because um, because of the Hayden and uh, Kraftsoff pick, uh, that allowed the Islanders to grab Wallstrom at uh, 11 and Dobson at 12. McKenzie had Wallstrom at 9 and Dobson at 6. So, um, so that, that, that just shows that the, you know, this fell in, right into Lou Lamarillo's lap here. Um, and they also ended up getting Bodie Wild uh, later on in the draft, um, who was projected to be, um, and McKenzie had him at 25. Um, and then the last one before I, I give it up to you, um, one was a bit of a stretch, but I, I do like both these picks just because of their connection to Boston. Um, Joel Farabee uh, of Philadelphia um, had two picks in the first round. Um, Farabee was picked uh, 14th, even though McKenzie had him at 17. Um, so that was a bit of a reach. And then I really love this Jay O'Brien, who was picked at 19. I was hoping the Bruins would get him um, later, like in the first pick, um, in this, you know, their their first pick in, at 57. But uh, he has, he was supposedly, he was really good for Thayer, which is a high school here in um, Boston. Um, and he's going to Providence next year, but... Uh, he has a ton of potential. I think he's like uh, one one of the scouts I was reading said that he has like the the third best goal scoring ability behind Zadina and Wallstrom. So um, so if Jay O'Brien can like I know he's young and that was all high school, but if he can like you know <laughs> continue on and be good, um, then you know then he has like. Uh, he has a ton of potential to be a star in this league. Um, so I, I really love that pick. I know that was a bit of a reach for him, but at the same time, I, I just like that pick. Um, and then Farabee is going to be you next year, but uh, he also had a, um, a pretty good uh, a year overall. So uh, who are your biggest, who, which teams won the, won the draft um, for you? I know. Um, I just... Well, we both touched on the Islanders and the Red Wings were yep. slam dunk winners. Um, like the Islanders, to me. Um, and by the way, one player you didn't mention for the Islanders, Blade Jenkins. Oh yeah. Um, amongst the OHL's top five rookie scores. Awesome name. Good. Yeah, and, and they got him in like um, in the lower rounds, like of the fifth, he was a fifth round pick. Mm. So, um, I to me, I think the Islanders did everything they possibly could to convince John Tavares that he doesn't have to leave for anywhere else. Yeah. Um, I think they're in a very good winning position down the road. Uh, the Red Wings definitely benefited uh, from some uh, stretch picks, and uh, they ended up getting a, a lot of good talent falling into their laps. So yeah. uh, they about that, advantage of that. About that, even if Tavares does leave, then that, that's like, that means like... It's still a pretty good future for the Exactly, Islanders. exactly, because, you know, you, you still have Barzal in the mix and you have Wallstrom on his side probably. And then, you know, you also get, uh, you know, Dobson and Bodie wild and all those guys. So, 
um, that could be a it could be a formidable group even if Tavares leaves. Yeah. I think outside of Quentin Hughes, probably uh, Barzal, uh, not Barzal, Noah Dobson is probably uh, the most well-rounded defenseman outside of Quentin Hughes. Yeah, I would I would argue Bogfist as well, but uh, we don't know as much about Bogfist. Like it's still too early to tell on him, but he has a lot of potential. But yeah, no, you're right, Dobson. Dobson and Hughes have the are the most NHL ready of those defensemen, not named yeah. Darlene. And then and then they get bowed wild uh, later on uh, in the draft as well. So yeah. they definitely addressed a bit of everything. They addressed forwards. They addressed defense. Now they yeah. just have to go out and get a goalie, which they probably will uh, in free agency. Which you know it's a it's a topic of discussion for another show. But it's a good step forward for the Islanders. Good step forward for the Red Wings. There are some teams that you didn't mention. Philly was another one. But um, there are two other Canadian teams that I want to address. Edmonton. They only had like five or six picks. But I think they get a, they did a decent job of making them count. Of course, Evan Bouchard's the most notable. Yeah. In each of the three OHL, OHL seasons that he's played, he's gotten better and better every year. Almost uh, reached 90 points this year. Um, defense, a bit of a concern on his end. But you look at Clefbaum, you look at Nurse, and you add Bouchard into the mix. That's a pretty good young defensive core. True. Um, that I think will bring success uh, to the Oilers uh, for many years to come. Uh, in the third round, they get a QMJHL goaltender named Olivier Rodrigue. Um, they also have Dylan Wells, uh, a guy they drafted uh, one or two years ago in the NHL draft, and he's got a bit of hype to him as well. Um, so behind Cam Talbot, they've got a decent crop of young goalies. Um, and then in the second round, they also get Michael McLeod's brother, Ryan. Um, so that adds to, I think, what could be a decent bottom six moving forward. Um, because they need offensive scoring outside of the top six. That's the whole knock on Edmonton is outside the first round. What are they really doing? I think outside of the first round, they did a pretty good job, especially with the amount of picks that they had. Uh, Vancouver was another team that really impressed me, of course, adding Quinton Hughes. Um, like you, only you, Levy, he shoots left, so you could put these guys on two different pairings, um, which I think could pose problems for a lot of teams in the West. Uh, and as a wildcard team, I would go with Chicago because they added to their defense. They got Bjorkfist, obviously, in the top ten. They also... Um, with the, the pick they got in the Ryan Hartman trade, they selected uh, Bodine, uh, another young defenseman with offensive upside. And then they take a talented forward and Jake Wise in round three. So I th- also think they got a bit of everything in this draft as well. Cool. Um, yeah, the, 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 those are good uh, Those are good picks. Um, so who lost the draft? Um, I'm kind of cheating here because it is also way too soon to really know, but... Um, but I'm going to say Calgary and Nashville only because they didn't have a pick until the fourth round and they didn't really have a ton of picks at that. Um, and then I'm also going to say Pittsburgh because I feel like, I mean, I do like the addition of Philip Hollander and Kalen Addison who they got in the second round, but at the same time, it, it feels like it's getting to a point where I feel like Pittsburgh needs to fill their cupboard pretty soon. Um, yeah. Like, their prospect list is so uh, dire at the moment. Um, so I'm not I, – I don't think they fulfilled it. I, of course, they have Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel, so 
they they obviously can afford to uh, not have a great prospect mark on them. But at the same time, it's like, well, you don't want to be like what Chicago has become or what um, or what Detroit has become because it's like right. you and, know. And the reason why Tampa is so good is because they just keep refilling their exactly. cupboard. And they they pick guys later round like Tampa loves doing that. They like they yeah. they pick all these guys late in rounds. Like uh, Kucherov is the main example, but they also got Ty- Tyler Johnson later in the rounds. I think Yanni Gord was uh, wasn't even um, like wasn't even drafted. Um, so uh, Braden Point I think was a late round pick too. So. Um, so yeah, that that that's really where I feel like Pittsburgh eventually will have to um, figure it out and and not you know because like the Blackhawks desperately needed um, more prospects in their system and same with Detroit because they've been so good in the past and now Pittsburgh you know the clock's on for Pittsburgh the same with the Rangers as well the Rangers are another team but um. But yeah, so so Pittsburgh, I, I'm only giving them the loss just because uh, they need to fill their cupboard pretty soon. Maybe not this year, but probably next year or the year after, uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you talk about uh, also um, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the first round pick that they gave up um, in the Derek Broussard trade. Yeah. Um, the Sens ended up trading that. Add to the Rangers so they could trade down, get the 26th pick, and then add a second-round pick. That was a good trade by Pierre Dorian because they, they ended up getting two young defensemen out of that. And, right. and uh, I, I, I think uh, they they uh, they made some reasonable picks with, that, with those two selections. So, again, even guys like Pierre Dorian, if they can make a simple trade like that, that's good for the team if it helps their prospect pool. True. There's only so many trades you can make if you're Pittsburgh, if you're Nashville, before you say, okay, we got to refuel our prospect pool. Yeah, I, I guess there is still time, so I don't want to make it seem like it's like they're going to suck this year just because they didn't draft right, well. No. But but at the same time, it's but like... Eventually, eventually it's going to catch up to them. Exactly, just like it has for Detroit and Chicago. So, um, right, and, exactly, the, and, yeah. and the Rangers. So, yeah. Um, uh, who else do you have as losing this draft? Yeah, I, I think Calgary is, is the biggest loser simply because this draft was so strong. They didn't get a single pick in the first three rounds. Yep. And one of the picks that they traded away ended up being Noah Dobson. <laughs> That's because, true. Because uh, of yeah. the Travis Hamnick trade uh, last year, uh, last year's draft. Uh, I also think to a lesser extent the Canadians lost because I know they selected their guy in the top three. Uh, but this team felt that they needed centers so badly that they went out and proceeded to draft seven of them with the 11 picks that they had. Yeah. Uh, the face-off dot isn't just Montreal's biggest problem. It is a problem for them, but yeah. I also think they need young defensemen. They only selected two of them in this draft. They got uh, Alexei Romanov, uh, Alexander Romanov in round two, Jordan Harris in the third round. Um in the fourth round, they got Alan McShane, decent forward, uh, that I think has got some upside. And I think Kenny will be a good player for them in a few years. But at the same time, if you want to be a good team, you need to take a look at everything. And know. my concern in this draft is that the Canadians put all of their eggs in one basket. I don't know. I think it. 
I think the reason why they pick so many centers is because you never really know what you're going to get of all these centers. It's like they could be something, they could be nothing. And, you know, particularly in their roster currently, I know none of these guys are going to be up uh, next next season, but, um, you know, it's like, you know, top-line centers are really hard to find. So if you can find, like, Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci were both second-round picks. So if, or, like, I'm sure there's other examples that I'm blanking on, but, of course, I remember those two. But, um, like, so if you can find, like, the, like, a center or a guy like that in later rounds, then I wouldn't mind taking a risk on that. And I think that was a smart move on Montreal's part in, in terms of like, all right, we don't know what we're getting, but we we have all these centers. Maybe one of them will be something. So Yeah, and, and true. I guess you could, you know, swap, you know, a couple of them for something yeah. that you need, especially if this, if this draft is so heavy on talented young centers. So yeah. I, I, can, I can see that. I'm just concerned that you know on the on the right wing for example they only drafted one right winger that was a second round pick in the early in uh, in the early second round yes he uh yep and uh and then if patches ends up leaving they're not as strong in the left wing they only got one of those uh in this draft and that was in the fourth round true but i feel so, like i feel like at the same time i can't believe i'm defending the canadians here but at the same time it's like <laughs> the they're not, um, like, none of these guys are going to be on their team next, you know, on their team next year. Right. So, yeah. I, other than maybe Connie Nemi, maybe, but, like, it's it's hard to really say. I mean, I'm looking here. They did get a defenseman in Romanoff in the second round. They also got Jordan Harris in the third round. But at the same time, it's like, you know, from the second round on, to the seventh round, you don't really know what you're going to get out of all these guys. So, yeah. you, you know, so the idea of, um, and like, it's going to take like maybe two or three years even. So, um, so I, I'm fine with them taking, taking chances on any of these guys, just considering they have all these picks. It's like, you know, they don't necessarily need to round it off and get like, build a team around it they just need you know they just uh you know they wanted center so they're hoping that one of these guys if it's not cunning emmy maybe it's mcshane maybe it's olifson maybe it's hillis maybe it's fornstad maybe it's howd maybe it's brett stapley so you know it's it's not um it's not I like say defi- i wouldn't say they're definitive losers like Howard. yeah Okay. I think I think it's fifty fifty. They could win or they could lose in this draft. All right. Well, that's fair. I mean, you can say that about everyone, but yes, <laughs> I do. Know, I do. Yeah. Know what I mean. uh, so speaking of which, which team do you think got the biggest steal? Um, the main one for me um, is Joe Valino. Um, apparently, uh, I'm not really sure why he got so why he dropped so much, but Mackenzie had him at fourteen, and then. When it was like once it got to around like fifteen or fourteen, you're like, okay, something's weird's going on. Why isn't Felino being picked? Is there something that happened that we didn't know that happened? Um, you know, once you get to like twenty with the Kings, you're like, all right, of course they're gonna pick a center. It's gonna be Felino. You know, this is this is nuts. And then they go on and pick Rasmus Kupari. You know. 
Uh, Jay O'Brien, although I like that pick, you know, that's another one where it's like it's a center, but then you're like, oh, I thought they would go with Valino or something. And then it got to the point where it's like you're at the Senators pick um, at 26, and you're like, I bet you the Senators are, because they traded down, and they, they, they probably didn't expect that Valino would be up, and then they didn't pick Valino. Or like the San Jose, St. Louis Blues went traded up, and you're expecting the them to pick up uh, Valino, and they they went with Bach, who was also might be good. So it was just like uh, I guess it kind of just showed how how much of this like how much depth this draft had, where a guy like Valino dropped all the way to thirtieth, um, even though he didn't necessarily like. You know, a lot of guys had him at 14. Apparently, he had, like, an exceptional status in the OHL. Um, well, in the, in the, the CHL, I, I think he was oh. also the first uh, QMJHL player to be granted that status. And, yeah. Uh, in the OHL, um, Sean Day was granted exceptional status. So was McDavid. So was uh, John Tavares. Yeah, yeah. I so meant the QMJHL. They just, they just <laughs> out to anybody. I meant the QMJHL. But, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess there's there is this idea that maybe Valino was wasn't as like good as it's just with ex- expectations. So Valino didn't have as good of a year as um, as other players we expected him, and that's why he dropped. And I think like the uh, even Pierre Maguire was saying that he he could not see Valino being a top line center. So maybe that's why people thought like, oh, okay, he could be a top three, maybe. So I'm that's sorry, probably the that's also scouts weren't so high on him. Too, yeah, yeah, so that might have impacted his. There's style. also there's also reports that he may have been the video game addiction guy. <laughs> yeah, but, I was just wondering. I was wondering yeah. if it was the video game guy. Yeah. But I don't think that makes sense, really, because I th- when Merrick said that, I think he said it was draft. He was already drafted by a prominent team. Yeah, exactly. Team. So that so that would, so it didn't make sense, but. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just odd that he dropped that far. So, um, so me, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things like maybe they're right that Valinio won't be a top line center, but, uh, Detroit got him at 30th, um, anyways, even though he has a ton of potential. And then the other one that I just liked a lot was Dominic Bach, um, who I mentioned before, but he was the 25th pick, um, and, uh, he had, he was another one of those, like, he has a, a scoring ability. Um, he's a German guy. Um, but uh, what did I say? Uh, McKenzie had him at 18th, but he ended up going at 25th. Uh, St. Louis uh, traded up from Toronto to get him. So um, so that was, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, I, I like that pick from uh, Dominic Bach. That could be someone. Um, who who do you have as your biggest steals? Uh, well, obviously at the Islanders getting Wallstrom and, and Dobson back to back, that was uh, that was pretty good work by them. Uh, I also think uh, Grigory Demisenko could be something in Florida. He was picked fifteenth or sixteenth. Okay, so he, he's, a, he's another interesting choice. But I think the biggest steals came out of Dallas. Um, Ty Della Andrea, who they picked uh, with their first round pick. Yeah. Um, the fact that he was able to go to Flint, ignore all the happenings in that organization, all of the, the background chaos happening there, 
um, adjust his diet uh, to improve his game in the middle of the season. Um, like I was just reading a lot about this kid and how he was saying, you know what, this this team was willing to draft me as as high as they did. That obviously they obviously think I'm going to be something. I'm going to work my butt off to help this team win and yep. do well. I, I, I appreciate character guys like Ty Andrea when I hear that. And now he's going to a situation where he's going to be playing with uh, guys like Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn in Dallas. And I, I think uh, the sky's the limit for him. I also think Adam Asker and picking him up in the fourth round. Yeah, that was um, a good one. That was a good decision by Dallas because uh, for those of you who don't know this story, Adam Askren was a Florida Panthers draft pick, chose to not sign with the team, chose to re-enter the draft. He ends up uh, getting picked 100th overall in the fourth round by Dallas. Um, and he's a pretty high offensive talent in the OHL as well, and he has been for a couple of years now. Yep. So that could uh, be a guy that makes some noise uh, for them as well. Moving forward. Um, so I like what the Stars did in that regard. Yeah, I have a... I have a couple more that I just realized I have. Okay. Uh, so Adam Asheron was one of them. Um, Jared McIsaac, um, mostly he was drafted by uh, the uh, the um, the Red Wings right. that I said. Uh, but uh, Mackenzie had him at 26. Um, he went 36 overall. Bodie Wild, who we also mentioned, uh, he was. Apparently he slipped because he uh, he uh, a week beforehand he said that he was going to go to BU and then it turns out he's not going to BU anymore um, and then he was going to go to a CHL team and then it turns out he might not do that either so it was a little bit confusing and I think that's why he slipped but anyways uh, Mackenzie had him at twenty fifth um, and he ended up going to the forty first but I think that was all because of that. It reminded me back uh, last year with uh, Eli Tolvadin, where uh, like the day before, B- he said that he wasn't going to BC and going to the KHL instead, and then uh, that made him slip drafts because it's like I I don't know I don't really understand why uh, teams find that like uh, a personality thing. It's just like. He's making yeah, decisions. maybe it's like a non-committal thing, like changes his mind repeatedly. And yeah, but like that—that that has nothing to do with their hockey ability. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. Um, the other ones, uh, Sarah Knoll, um, could be uh, something. Uh, he was McKenzie had him at nineteenth. He went thirty-fourth uh, overall to the Florida Panthers. Um, Akil Thompson was. Uh, 28th on uh, McKenzie's list, and he ended up going to 51st overall. Um, I also had here Jet Wu, even though <laughs> McKenzie had him at 42nd. Uh, he ended up going 37th overall, so maybe that wasn't really a steal, but um, he ended up going to Vancouver. But uh, I think people just like his name a lot, so so there's yeah. that. Um, I realize I just skipped some some questions here. So which, who do you think took the biggest risk? Um, well, I think, um, depending on what happens with Baron Hayden, that could be a risk uh, for yep. Arizona. I think the biggest one would be San Jose taking Ryan Merkley 21st overall, because yep. this That's is cool. an offensive beast on defense. And we're already looking at a Sharks defense that boasts a power play sideboard at Brent Burns. Both guys are right-handed which makes him even scarier because you can put uh, Ryan Merkley on the the second power play pairing. Um, 
Like, this guy was top three OHL defensive scorer uh, this past season. 13 goals, 67 points, 63 games. And in his rookie season, 50-plus points. So there's a lot of hype to this kid. Yeah. But at the same time, defense is a work in progress. The Sharks are still going to be relying on Mark Edward Vlasic to play a number one shutdown role. And team defense needs to be a point of emphasis in San Jose because that is going to make them better. They need yeah. team defense. I was if about to say. If Merkley isn't that team defense guy, they're going to be looking at, hmm, maybe we should have taken a guy like Ke'Andre Miller, who the Rangers took yeah. the pick right after pick. the Sharks took Merkley. Because yeah. Ke'Andre Miller is a fit, young physical defenseman. That is a kind of a guy that, Maybe the Sharks need more than another offensive talent, but yeah, um, that's that's why I think it was a bit of a risk based on the defensive liability. Apparently, uh, Merkley even admitted that he doesn't play defense or something. Or, I don't know. There's like <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, so he, he pulled a panic basically. Yeah, he he's already said that he he doesn't want to play defense, even though he's a defenseman. That I find kind of strange. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I, I, I will say this, though. I feel like if there is a team that he can go to and can fix his attitude issues, I think the Sharks are the perfect place for him. You know, they have guys like Vlasic. Brent Burns is, like, a perfect example of a guy who's, like, both a forward and a defenseman. So, um, you know, they, they have a good, like, Justin Braun is a little underrated, especially on the defensive side of things. So, you know, it's it's like uh, you know those guys will help him um, move along in his in his development, and you know he ought, and we know what he's he's lacking. But I feel like the Sharks, if any team, the Sharks are the best fit for him just because yeah, of like look at what Evander yeah. Kane did when he came over. Exactly, and I feel like they just they can like help out with his defense. Um, if, you know, which is what he needs. So that there's that. Um, I was going to say, you know, I think, I think a lot of the teams that I feel like just reached in the first round took the biggest risk. So Connie Nemi, I guess, technically we expected it, but it was also a bit of a reach. Um, Hayden as well. Uh, let me just go down this list here. Ty Delandria, um, Denisenko, Kaut, uh, uh, Liam Foudy, Jay O'Brien, uh, Merkley in a way, in a way I guess, um, Philip Johansson, Bernard Docker, Bowden, um, Alexiev maybe. I don't know. So like those those guys that I just mentioned, those were a bit of reaches, but you know they could. That doesn't mean that they're gonna be. They're going to bust, necessarily. A little bit of knowledge on Jacob Bernard Docker. He was named Defenseman of the Year in the league that he played yeah. in. That league uh, owned these two defensemen in previous years. Dante Fabro, a lot of hype on him in Nashville. Yeah. And uh, some guy named Kale McCarr, who was a top four selection with Colorado. Yeah. Those were the two previous Defensemen of the Year yeah. um, winners in the same league that Bernard Docker played in, and he won the award this year. Right. Well, it's, it's funny. When the Senators announced that pick, I was just like, wait, who is this guy? And yeah. then... <laughs> I, I was kind of thinking the same way. I'm just saying, yeah. so he didn't get Valeno? 
Yeah, or Bodie Wild, what's going on? Yeah, so yeah. then I, I looked up his stats online right after I emailed that to you, and then I was like, oh, okay, this guy actually might be good, but it is definitely a risky pick, and I feel like it's a reach, but um, it, it was definitely something. Um, you did yeah. mention that you liked the Ty Delandria pick. I I felt like that was a bit of a reach, but I could also maybe see... Maybe that position, yeah, yeah. maybe. I, I like especially when like guys like Farabee, uh, Ty Smith, um, you know those guys were still available and Valenio were still available. So I felt like, oh okay, they should have just gone with Valenio. But um, so I felt like that was more of a reach there. But again, like you know, taking the biggest risk doesn't necessarily mean that it was a bad risk to take. It's just it was more of a reach and then than anything. Yeah. Krasov is another one uh, who t- was a big risk there. Um, yeah. So speaking of that, which first round player is most likely to bust? And I should reiterate that it's way too soon to to say that. So um, the only one, th- I mean, I was going to say Ryan Merkley, but I kind of convinced myself otherwise. Um, I was, uh, I, I think Liam Foudy maybe or Martin Kaut. Uh, Liam, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets picked Foudy and Cow uh, went to the Avalanche, but I feel like the you know the Avalanche can't afford to like not necessarily have a great um, not prospect. have a great draft, yeah, because yeah. they done done so well in previous exactly. Years, right? And uh, I mean, I I don't know necessarily that Foudy stood out to me as being a guy that's going to be a good Blue Jackets player, but. Again, I, I might I might eat my words eventually, so we'll see. Um, yeah, so who do you think is most likely to bust? I, obviously, I Kraft, way too soon. I think Kravtsov is going to be the biggest bust, not because he won't produce. I think he will produce a fair amount for the Rangers, but is he going to produce like a top 10 pick would? That is something that um, yeah, I'm I, I, I my head at. And it's the same with Kotkani. I mean, can he be yeah. um, a top three player? Because we Howden all know what happened one. with Alex Galchenyuk uh, when he was drafted in the top three. He just got traded. So Yeah, I guess Hayden is another one, too. Um, we're not sure how he's going to be. Because yeah. if the, the Coyotes passed up on Zadina and Hughes and Bogfist, it's like, okay, what are you... And Dobson and Wallstrom. And Dobson and Wallstrom. It's like, if any of those players are better than Hayden, then you're like, oh, <laughs> that's not good. Yeah. Um, but, um, okay. Um, any surprises of guys that fell? I, I kind of touched up on Joe Valeno, but do you have anyone else? Yeah, pretty much Valeno was uh, the obvious choice here. I thought he'd be at least a top 20 pick once yeah. we got there, but uh, falls down to number 30. That's um, something I did not expect. Interesting, by the way, to note that... Uh, Remember when I said uh, Detroit could, uh, you know, trade away guys that didn't turn out and turn them into something that they could use later? Yeah. Well, um, that Thomas Tatar trade produced that 30th overall pick because that was from Vegas. Yeah. And they used that to select Joey Valeno. So. Oh, that's interesting. Um, also interesting of note, Liam Kirk becomes the first United Kingdom player to be drafted. Yeah. He went uh, in the seventh round to the Arizona Coyotes. Um, I also, uh, <laughs> I just like this name, but uh, Nando Eggenberger, 
Um, he didn't even get drafted, but um, so I, I I wanted to see him just because of that name. But um, but we did get Chet Wu and Blade Jenkins uh, drafted, so I, I like that just for those names. Bodie yeah, Wild is a good name Chet too. Wu, by the way, uh, he was this. Um... He was the second uh, highest traffic of Chinese descent, so there you Interesting. go. Interesting, cool. Was Ho Sang the first? I'm uh, not quite sure who the first one was. Was it that uh, Buffalo Saber guy that made a player? Remember that? <laughs> Carol <laughs> That's a good question. I'm wondering yeah. if, if it is that player in question, but... No, uh, that, that yeah, was a joke. I, I, I don't know, actually. That's a good question. I All don't right. know the answer to that. We'll go. We'll now go to the the awards show. Um, so Taylor Hall won the Hart Trophy award. Um, this was kind of, I guess, it was a little bit of a shock. Not really though, because I thought um, maybe McKinnon, but I guess the the factor towards um, getting a uh, like a. Just the factor of like Hall was better than the next best player on on New Jersey compared to um, compared to McKinnon who had Rantanen on his line and Landis Cog also on his line, whereas like Hall was the only good player on the team and he managed to put them in the playoffs. Um, so I think I think that was a good choice. Um, by the way, I did call it. Uh, Sort of call it um, when we did our "Who's Going to Get the Heart" nomination episode. Um, I think it was in March, um, and I said that I I put in my campaign for Taylor Hall, and it looks like uh, it happened. I although I did say that Kucherov, I thought Kucherov was going to win it at that time, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hall won it just based off of what I said. So. I, I, I'm going to give myself credit on that. I'll pat myself on the back for everyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Taylor Hall gets the Hart Trophy. Um, I assume, do you have any problem with that? or? Uh, no, I don't have any problems with that. Because, like, Nathan McKinnon had help. Like, Rantanen, 80-plus points. Landis Cog, bounce-back season. Taylor Hall had 42 more points than the second-ranked score in the Devils, and that was Nico Heischer. Yep. And... Guys like Jesper Brack cooled off in the second half. Taylor Hall goes on that massive point streak. Other than Keith Kincaid's stellar play, the only thing getting New Jersey to the playoffs was Taylor Hall. Um, frankly, it was an award out of the three nominees that uh, he deserved, and uh, I'm glad he won it. And it's and it's just uh, salt to the wound of Edmonton Oilers fans who thought, yeah, good right. idea to trade Taylor Hall. What's he going to do, win the Hart Trophy? Yeah, it's exactly what he does. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, the, uh, uh, but like speaking of that, the, uh, McDavid ended up winning the Ted Lindsay award. So they did get that. Um, the Lindsay award is the award that's voted on by the players. So McDavid gets the, he's the best player voted on by the players. So that's something that he kind of deserved. Um, yeah, that kind of validates his future as the new face of the NHL. Like leads the league with 108 points. If if the Oilers made the playoffs, he would be getting the hard trophy as well. But exactly. um, you know, sometimes one player can't do it all by himself. Right. Uh, Kopitar gets the Selkie. I was a little upset about this, but understandably. Uh, but 
you know, it's more just because I feel like if Bergeron was healthy for a little bit more games, then I think Bergeron would have won this, but that's just what I keep on telling myself as a Bruins fan. Uh, but yeah, so Kopitar, it was well-deserved. He had like 90 points um, in as much games, and he, of course he's like right on the face-off dot as well. So, um, so kudos to him. Um, even though I would have rather had Bergeron, and I thought Bergeron would have won it, but um, it's it, apparently Bergeron came in third. Um, Couturier finished ahead of him, so I think it had a little bit more to do with just the injury aspect of things. Um, What's also else. interesting about Kopitar winning the award is um, Dustin Brown had a big season. You wonder how much he had to do with that, but this Kings team needed to score goals, you know, with Boston, you had Marshawn, you had Pasternak picking up the weight when Bergeron left. I also think True. that impacted uh, Bergeron's ability to win this award to an extent, but also came across this stat. Kopitar made 752 defensive plays this season. That was six shy of Alex Barkov for the regular season lead. And if you're wondering where Bergeron finished in that stat category, he had 654 defensive plays, putting him ninth on uh, that list. Wow. So, uh it, to put up 90-plus points and to be second in defensive plays made, yep. that's pretty tough to do. So um, it it wasn't that Bergeron didn't deserve to be in this conversation. He absolutely did. Um, and I definitely think you can make the argument that he deserved to win the Selkie, but it's tough to argue those stats and why Kopitar shouldn't get it. Like, yep. Kopitar played his butt off this year. Yep. Uh so then uh, comes, I think, the more controversial one. Um, Victor Hedman wins the Norris Trophy one. Um, I thought this would go to Doughty, but I could see the merits of giving this to Hedman. I felt like Doughty had had more to deal, like had less to work with than Hedman did, um, and I felt like Doughty like was slightly better defensively than Hedman was. But um, I don't know. I felt like. Uh, I guess it's it's not a huge deal that Hedman won, but um, I don't know. I would have given it to Dowdy, I think. There's a stat that I found uh, from uh, the folks at uh, The Point. You can follow them at PNT Hockey on Twitter. Um, this is where I get a lot of interesting stats, and uh, they really know their stuff. Um, so Hedman got 63 points. That's pretty impressive. However... When it comes to block passes, Subban was ranked 20th with 563. Drew Doughty was ranked 36th in that category. You know where Victor Hedman finished? First? Second, with 655 block passes. Okay. Well, that's the thing, too, because Hedman also missed some time uh, during the season, so I don't know if that had an impact or not. But, um, yeah, okay. So, that's interesting. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I guess I'm not... I also think it was that, but... to, to win this award as well, and I think yeah. that's why they gave it to him. It's just like, okay, it's your turn, buddy. You can have it. Right, right. It's like, okay, you had a good season last year, too, so let's just give it to you. Yeah. Um, the Vezina, um, this was, I mean, I had a problem with this even, bef- like, just in terms of the nominees, even. But, um, <laughs> let me guess, because Tuka Rask wasn't on there. No, no, I didn't. I, it wasn't that. It's just that Nashville, Winnipeg, and Tampa... Like, if any, if Rene Hellebuck or Vasilevsky are, have a bad game, like, you, Nashville and Winnipeg and Tampa Bay are loaded up front. There, There's no, like, problem with that. 
So it's like, as opposed to like in years past where like Carey Price was the Montreal Canadiens, Braden Holtby was the Washington Capitals, although I guess yeah. that's a little different of the uh, situation. Bob Rofsky is the Blue Jackets. It's like, you know, it's just, I guess it just showed that like, I feel like if Gibson was healthy, was more healthy, if Bob Rofsky was more healthy, um, Flurry is Flurry, Flurry's another one, Luongo. You know, if those guys were more healthy, those guys should have been nominated. And I, yeah, I just had more of a I'm not going to argue with that, that on that yeah. front. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, I mean, and and if we're, if we're talking about being healthy, Tuka Rask is another one. But yes, um, <laughs> but I think <laughs> it, it should have been either Bobrovsky or Gibson. I think I would have uh, rather. But I understand in terms of injury stuff, or Flurry even. But um. But yeah, so anyways, uh, Pecorine won the Vezina, um, mostly because he had the better stats of the three of those guys that I mentioned, but I, 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 I'm going to protest this. Uh, this is a contested trophy win for Rene, because I, I would have given this to Bobrovsky or Fleury or Gibson um, ahead of Rene, but whatever, what you going to do? What's interesting about Rene is, yes, he led the NHL in save percentage. He was also tops in save percentage from the slot with a minimum of 41 games played. Halibut was fifth. Vasilevsky was 14th in that same stat category. And what's interesting is that Rene did all this in pretty much this with the same defense in front of him. Like, outside of Alexi Emlin, Nashville's defense remained pretty much the same. They were riding the same top four as they were the year before, and Pecorine had one of the best seasons of his career. So yeah. I think I think part of it was, yeah, like Victor Hedman, it was your turn to win it this year. But I also think Pecorine earned this award as well. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then in the biggest surprise of the night, Matt Barzal gets the Calder Trophy Award. Of course, I'm joking. Uh, Barzal... <laughs> um, Brazil, he had obviously more won. point than Tavares, and he played on the second line. Yeah, and he had he had a point per he had more than a point per game um, uh, during during his season. Um, yeah, so uh, Barzal uh, finishes gets the Calder. He had eighty five points in eighty two games. I still feel like if Boser was healthy, he could have he could have made it interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it was Barzal running away. Keller had a good season at the end of the second half. Bosser had a good first half, but Barzal had a great, uh, season overall. So, um, he had a great both halves. So, um, yeah, you can't really hate that. I do, I am kind of interested to see how he does next year. If Tavares stays or if Tavares goes, because I don't know how yeah. sustainable it is. I know he had a couple of those games that were like he had five assist games a couple nights, but uh, so I am curious to see if if that kind of stuff can continue or if like teams are going to actually figure him out or not. So that'll be interested to see how it goes. If he gets a lot of uh, time in the offensive zone with the puck, that's going to yeah. be tough to do because. Guess where he finished in that category? Um, where? First amongst all players. Wow. I didn't Patrick know that. Dean was se- Patrick Dean was second. Connor McDavid was third. Matt Barzell was first with 99 minutes and 13 seconds of offensive zone puck time. Maybe Absolutely that's a, crazy. 
Maybe that explains why he drops so low is that he's more known as like an offensive player and like he can't play yeah, defense as well. Yeah, an offensive, know. less defensive guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I guess everyone on the Islanders doesn't play <laughs> defense, so, um, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, the good news is they got Lamorello and and um, you know better coaching, so you would think that's uh, going to change soon. Yep. And then we have it's the it was the Vegas night in more than one way, um, yeah. in more than one one way. I don't know if that's a good pun, but um, it was the Vegas night. N i g h t. There we go. Um, yeah. Gerard Gallant gets the Jack Adams, um, of course. Um, the you also get uh, George McPhee gets the GM of the year. Wild Bill Carlson, uh, Carlson, I can't speak. Gets the Lady Bing, and then Derek Engelin, even though he wasn't a captain, gets the Messier Award. Um, so that's four wins for the Golden Knights. The only thing I'll say about this is, well, two things. One is for, uh, like, if you're, like, usually when you win a Jack Adams, it's like, oh, he had nothing to deal with. Whereas then, but like, you know, so then it's like, oh, it's the GM's fault for not getting the players. And then if the GM wins, it's like, oh, he got the enough trades and move, picked up enough moves for this, like, coach to coach. So, like, it, it feels weird that the same team won both the Jack Adams and the GM, but at the same time, this is Vegas, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, an exception to the rule, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, we're talking about an expansion team that finished in the NHL's top five, won a division title. Yeah. Uh, got a 50-win season. Uh, I think I mentioned finished in the league's top five and made the Stanley Cup Finals all in their first season. And you look at the roster that they put together, it was a combination of the GM making the right decisions, getting the right pieces in place for the coach to play his game, and then the coach had to execute. So McPhee did his job, uh, Gerard Gallant did his, and um, everything just fell into place. Now the trick is to keep doing that every single year, because as we know with the Jack Adams and that quote-unquote curse – um, if uh, the trend continues, Gerard Gallant could be searching for a job in a couple of years. True. So uh, hope, hopefully this is different for uh, both Gallant and McPhee, and they can keep this going. Yep, and uh, William Carlson wins the Lady Bing. I am. Uh, I, I feel like the Lady Bing is a weird award to be given out anyways, because it's basically just the best forward that doesn't have a ton of penalty minutes. Um, yeah, but this forward got over 40 goals and only recorded six penalty minutes all year. True. Um, and, and funny, too, because, like, Ryan O'Reilly, who's, like, known to have some weird personality issues, he, you know... <laughs> He's he, the, one of the most disciplined players. Most yeah, yeah, players, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, uh, he... Not on the ice, I guess. Um, Barkov, I would have liked to see. But, again, I, I don't mind. I feel like William Carlson won it just because, you know, he deserves some accolade for for his season so there's that um and then england i thought the messier award was only to captains um but apparently wayne simmons was also nominated um blake wheeler as the captain too so i don't know i thought i i guess i don't know um whatever um and then uh lastly we have here that king clancy award goes to the sedines um so this is a kind of kind of Final send off to the to the uh, to the two of them on their career, and 
So that was a nice moment to see. Um, yeah, the the award show in general was kind of. I actually missed it, but I did see some highlights on the on the. I did see that it was a little awkward because a lot of the magicians' tricks like didn't, fell a lot flat, especially Kopitar when they were announcing yeah. Kopitar winning the selfie. It was so. It was so bad. <laughs> It was so badly executed, but it was somehow still entertaining. I know it was. I was just cracking up. I was just like, I can't believe I missed this. <laughs> it was just like it was so funny because like, he messed up the cards. It was like supposed, like you knew what he was trying to do. Where it was gonna like when he like put out the cards. Um, it was supposed to be a picture of Kopitar, but it turns out it wasn't. And what made it worse was that uh, Kopitar gave him like. Uh, like he uh, went over, the magician went over to shake Kopitar's hand, and Kopitar just went straight to the podium and <laughs> missed it. So it was, it was hilarious on uh, like uh, on that on that end. But um, on a more touching side, they did have a good tribute to Humboldt, uh, the Vegas tragedies, and they also did one on the um, on uh, I'm blanking here. Um, but they did, I think they did one on the, um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas hockey team. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, so, so those were all touching tributes to them. And, um, so it was, it was kind of like a thing. It was like those moments where you appreciate hockey more, um, just because of, um, things that go on outside of, um, hockey. So that was a, it was a good tribute for all those guys. Um, and it was, it was touching to see. Um, on, on a side note, uh, P.K. Subin uh, was named EA Sports NHL 19 cover athlete. Yeah. So um, if you wanted to know uh, that award, it went to P.K. Uh, and, and you're right to touch on this. Like, have you noticed that some of the award shows sometimes have those like cringy, like awkward kind of moments? Yeah. And you just want them to get to the award presentations. I didn't feel uh, and this is one of the award shows like I was working, so I couldn't watch it myself. So it was one of those word shows that I genuinely wanted to watch because, you know, you had the finalists, some of the finalists stepping up to present certain awards. Uh, the tribute to Humboldt was probably the most touching thing I've ever seen when the really O'Ree award was presented to uh, the deceased head coach, Darcy Hogan, who died in that April 6th bus. It, it, was, it just had that human element to it, and it just hit the hockey community we all felt it, um, and you don't really get those these days, um, yep. I find anyways. And it it, it, kind of, it was kind of like a happy and a sad time for hockey because you had all those tragedies happen, but you also see these stories of great people stepping up to the plate, getting behind each other. Um, the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup, how much it meant to that city, how much it meant to... Um, people who wanted to see Ovechkin do well and win stuff. It, it was it was quite the banner year for the NHL because so much history was made, and, and the Vegas uh, storyline as well. Can't forget about that. But I just found it was fitting that they got everyone involved to close up the book on a very successful year. I think um, probably 2017-2018, for various ways, will be remembered, uh, for good or for bad, uh, in the NHL, I, I think it's, I, I think it's one of those top ten seasons that people are going to remember forever. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Um, yeah, it is. Um, 
I mean, it's definitely a touchy moment, and I think it's, it's just, like, that's how important hockey is to everyone. I, I particularly love the Humboldt um, yeah. segment that they had. It was very moving because they showed the, the surviving hockey players um, on that team and, and how they continued to play. And like, I found it incredible that, like, one of the guys is, like, like who couldn't even move after, like, the day after, and now he's, like, he, his goal is to play in the, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, sled hockey uh, for the Olympic team. And I, I just found that, like, very moving. It's just, like... You know, he's still trying to chase his dream, and, you know, that's what it's all about, really. So um, so I found that kind of interesting. Um, and, and that speech uh, with Darcy Ogan's wife there where he, yeah, that was a good where speech he said that, um, you know, he's going to be remembered for what he did before April 6th and not what he was remembered for after it. And True. Uh, they showed um, the message outside the humble Broncos dressing room and, and what – he wants the hockey players to stand for it. He wasn't just developing hockey players. He was developing better people. He wanted people to be better people after they were done with the humble Broncos. And, and that is what you want to see. You want to see better contributing members to society, not just better hockey players. And um, guys like Darcy Hogan are tough to find these days. And it's important to really recognize them because this is the future of hockey. And you want guys leading that future and leading that future well. And um, and that's what he did. And um, I, I think that good nature of hockey needs to be recognized more. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so we'll have more tomorrow um, on everything else that happened this week. And boy, was there a lot of stuff that happened next week, uh, this week. So, uh, so we'll have that, and we'll also have a UFA preview, like where is Tavares going to go, where is John Carlson going to go. Um, so, um, so yeah, look forward to that tomorrow. Um, in fact, we'll probably be recording when you're listening to this right now. So there's that. Uh, check us out on. You can check those episodes um, out. On I post them on Twitter um, and Facebook. Our Twitter is Laysom. A podcast and our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, and we're also on SoundCloud, which is how you're listening to it now. And we're, we're, we should be on iTunes. I haven't checked in a long time, but I'm pretty sure we're, we're back on iTunes as well. So, um, so yeah, there's that. And it's, make sure to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already um, on there. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in part two of episode 131 of the Listen Up podcast.